Hello, and welcome to Teacher Tales, a podcast from the spirit of teaching. This is your host, Linda Markley, and I invite you to join me and my guests as we get curious, explore, discover, and learn more about what is really at the heart of teaching. In each episode, we will hear the story of a teacher, what called them to teach, what are their greatest joys and challenges in teaching, what inspires them, and what are their hopes, dreams, and vision for the education of children. We will learn more about the greatest lessons they have taught and also the greatest lessons they have learned. No checklists, no standards, no reports, no paperwork, and no data. Just stories from their hearts to our hearts on a journey to celebrate what really matters in the true spirit of teaching. Today, my guest is Dawn. Dawn, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. So my name is Dawn Samples, and um, I am now the um, director for more professional learning for the Vaughn Assessment. Um, but I am a language teacher at heart, and um, I taught French language and um, was a district supervisor for 16 years as well. So I have a different, I have different layers that have brought me to where I am today and what I'm doing today. You have a very broad perspective and I'm going to tap into that and ask lots of questions about different points of view because that's what we're trying to do here is get lots of different perspectives on teaching and uh, there are definitely, definitely different ones uh, at different levels and different areas and even different parts of the country because you're coming to us from Oregon, right? So moving from the East Coast, from South Carolina over to Oregon, um, notice any big changes, differences uh, besides the climate? Yeah, actually, um, most of my teaching and, and education career has been in the Southeast. Um, but I did last year move to Eugene here in Oregon, and it is different. I went from um, a non-unionized state for education to a unionized state, and there was a lot of there's a lot of changes and differences in that. Um, in districts that I work with here, um, just when I suggest things sometimes or think of things sometimes, they're like, "Yeah, that sounds great." Oh, but wait, we can't do that <laughs> because they're just different. Um, there are different supports, but also barriers in place, um, depending on what the structure is like and the different level of support that just varies from state to state everywhere at the state level um, or district level. So where my kids go to school here, they actually do have a district supervisor, but just like in a lot of other states around the country, many districts don't have supervisors or that level of support at the district level. So some things never change and stay the same. But other things are quite different and have been a big adjustment <laughs> for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and in Oregon, you're still virtual, right? All virtual? Yes, yes. No so um, so my, stu- my, my personal, my children are still virtual and have been um, all year. since. Actually, since the shutdown March 13th last year, they've been virtual ever since. Um, and they had hoped to go back live after Christmas, but now it's looking like it will be late March at the earliest, but depending on our numbers, um, the governor here has put into place uh, like a risk system. And so anyone above a certain level of risk 
cannot be face to face. And so <laughs> our area is extreme risk right now. So I'm not real sure. I'm not real convinced that they will end up back in school here um, in a face to face setting this year. But um, in my capacity doing professional learning with schools, I work with districts from all different places across the country and work with teachers who are in many, many different platforms, sometimes all at once while they're teaching. So it's really been intriguing and sometimes heartbreaking and sometimes encouraging to hear from them what their teaching scenarios are. It is varied. Um and very challenging across the whole country. There's not really a standard. And I know, um, what have you been hearing from teachers as far as some of the biggest challenges that they've been facing? Especially because you're working with a company now that does assessments. And we had a little right. conversation about virtual teaching and, and even teaching right now not feeling real for anyone. Right. So... Yeah, I, th I think this whole year is still surreal for so many people. Um, so I, I hear so many things. Um, what I am finding and just different from different teachers I'm talking with, the teachers who are doing all of one or the other seem to be in a better place mentally than the teachers who are having to do both face-to-face -face and virtual at the same time. Mm. Um, because they are just feeling so pulled in so many directions. So the ones who are teaching 100% virtual are able, while it's hard and it's new and it's got its own set of frustrations that are new to them if they've never been trained to teach online, um, at the same time, they're focusing all of their energies on one delivery method. Well, not one method, but one delivery platform, I should say. Um, and then the teachers who um, are in states where they're back face-to-face, -face, um, those teachers can at least focus their attention, even if they're in a situation where students are face-to-face -face two or three days a week and at home two or three days a week. A lot For a lot of them, what they're doing at home is work that they prep for them to do at home, but they're not actually teaching them virtually. So they're able to focus more on the face-to-face -face delivery and prep for flipped lessons, I guess, is what they're doing. Um, but the teachers who are, and are being expected to teach virtually, at the same time they're teaching face-to-face, -face, and they literally have students who are virtual in class at the same time as their students who are face-to-face, those teachers, I think, are just in a whole at a whole different stress level because they're trying to attend to engagement and support with their face-to-face -face children who are in their room demanding their attention and keep the engagement ongoing and the support ongoing for their virtual babies at the same time. And it, it can work. It's just a different level of stress for those teachers, I think. Um, they feel pulled and their preps are just incredible. And one teacher I was talking to had, she had somewhere around, I wanna say it was 12 to 15 preps a day because wow. of the different scenarios with each class. She already is teaching five levels of language, which if you're a singleton at high school in a language class, five levels is not uncommon. Mm -hmm. 
for, for you, even in a normal world. But when you count five levels plus five possible virtual scenarios on top of that, like it just starts to add up. And then you have this singleton students who maybe have, you know, challenges or specific needs or so I think it's just it's a smorgasbord of so many different scenarios out there right now. And it makes it hard to um, come up with like a unified approach to support teachers because it's just like with our students, everything is so individualized for giving them the support they need in whatever scenario they're teaching them. So it's, it's like tough right now. It is. Yeah. And it's like multitasking, which takes a lot of brain power and a lot of energy. And I have to say that the teachers that are teaching face to face, if they're doing hybrid, then they also they're wearing a mask all day long. And I believe yeah. that breathing through the mask, they're getting, what is it, carbon dioxide back in. And I think that that's very difficult for energy and brain power for the kids and for the teachers. Mm -hmm. Where If you're just doing virtual all the time, you're not wearing a mask, yeah. you don't have that added layer of the physical demand. Uh, at least I've thought about that. Well, and, and it's also, a, it's a disconnect too. Um, especially in language classrooms where we connect so often and communicate so often with our students through expression and it disconnects some of that expression as well um, that helps lower the effective filter and helps students feel more comfortable to take risks and use the language and even understand what you're saying if you're using and when you're wearing the mask, it's much harder to get that across mm -hmm. um, and to make that connection in addition to, you know, struggling with, with the breathing part just alone. But the, it's just, it's tougher. I, I do know some teachers who um, have worn the shield, like the face shield. Um, but I think a lot of them who started off doing that are having to wear a mask with that now because I think that it doesn't meet whatever, I don't know if that's everywhere, but just the ones I know of, that doesn't meet the requirements that they had in their building. So they're either wearing a mask and a shield or <laughs> just come back to the mask. Mm -hmm. So, Just a lot of, a lot of plates spinning at the same time for everyone. It is just, it like is. you said, surreal. So why did you become a teacher? It's so funny when you were, were telling me about doing, when we were talking about doing this, I started thinking back. I hadn't really thought about it in a while. And I actually, my mom was a teacher um, and I grew up overseas. So my parents were missionaries. And um, when I was little, we moved overseas and we lived in France for a little while while they were in language school. And then we moved from France to Martinique in the French West Indies. And that's where I grew up and I went to a French school. So I was the, I was an FSL student. I was a, a French language student, like how we have ESL students here. Um, but they didn't have at that time, they, they have more of this now in their programs. But at that time they didn't have any kind of specialized anything. I was just kind of plopped into regular school and go for it. Just <laughs> do the best you can. Um, and that's how I learned French. So I, I really did learn it by, you know, sink or swim kind of methodology. Um, and so 
I had different learning experiences growing up. The French school system, especially in that day and age, is no joke. It was really, really, really tough. And um, I came back to the States to finish high school and be ready for college and hopefully be ready in a mindset of having had some American education so I would have some footing on going into an American university and lived with my aunt and uncle just outside of Atlanta. And my aunt was also a teacher. And so she was a teacher at the high school where I went. And um, so I have a lot of educators in my family, aunts and uncles that are teachers, cousins that are teachers, there are a whole lot of teachers in my family. Um, but I never really planned to be a teacher. <laughs> I never really planned to go into education. I can remember, um, I was a French major and a Spanish minor. And when I was in the French high school system, I was in the language track. So I started taking English in early middle school. And then I added Spanish and then I added German. Um, and when I came back to the States, we didn't have all of those offerings in the school where I was for me to continue all that language. Um, so my senior year, the summer after my senior year, we went to Washington DC for a trip. And I can remember walking through the Capitol and thinking, I'm going to work here one day. This is how I'm going to use my language. And um, then I went to college. I majored in French, minored in Spanish, still was not thinking about education. Um, my senior year, I started subbing part-time um, just for work. And the first day I subbed, I subbed for a PE teacher at high school and first period, a boy went to go for a layup playing basketball and broke his arm literally into his oh, forearm. Um, that was my first teaching experience. And when the EMTs came to take him, they had to take him and go do surgery. Like it was a, it was a really horrific break. Um, they were like, you need to sit down, miss. You look like you're going to pass out because <laughs> it was just really awful. Um, and then I thought maybe this isn't, I'm, I just may not be cut out for this. <laughs> so I did keep subbing. I subbed for most of my senior year while I was finishing college. Still not thinking education, mind you. And um, the week after I graduated, um, one of my college professors called me and said they are about to begin a new program in Georgia that is going to be funded by legislation in the state to fund kindergarten French. And I think you would be perfect for this. I want you to talk to the school district. And so I was like, huh, because I did love working with kids. I love working with kids. I just never thought I would be able to use language to teach young children. And so um, I called, I applied for the job, and I got the job. And I became one of the 15 districts in the state of Georgia that was part of the model program. And that very first year, we started with kindergarten. And I have to tell you, Linda, I don't even know. Um, I just don't even know, you know, God works in mysterious ways because I could not have been in a better position. I had no idea 
the, the many benefits and huge opportunities that I would get by being part of that program. Um, Greg Duncan was my first supervisor. Oh, how um, and <laughs> I know he was like, he was the first, he was the state supervisor at the time. And he was the one who was working with the state to get this program off the ground. So we worked really closely with him and Marcia Spielberger. Mm-hmm. And the trainers that they brought in to do our training were none other than um, Carol Ann Dahlberg and Helena Curtin and Mimi Met. And we trained with them three, four times a year. We trained a full week every summer and we trained three-day weekends about four times during the year. And so my very first really in-depth dive into methodology was with Carol Ann in a a week-long workshop. I can remember her, um, she did all of our training in German. So we would experience it as students, right? And I can remember her um, telling us that at the end of the week, we're going to have to teach a lesson on our own. And I was freaking out about Thursday planning for this lesson before I realized I was planning it all in German. I was so worried about teaching this lesson in German. And then I realized I don't have to teach it in German. I can do it in French. (laughs) But I was so immersed in what we had done in German. I was stressed about having to teach a lesson in German. And that wasn't even my language. So that's what a good job she did in getting us really immersed in the language that week was I was thinking I was going to have to go off and teach a lesson in German at the end of the week. So um, that was the training that I got from the word go. And I never really had the formal methodology training in college for teaching. My training came from true experts in the field on the job. And I did go back. I was, I was an alternative pathway certified teacher. I went back the next year and added my certificate. And actually, because I had been subbing in education, I didn't have a whole lot to do to add because I had already taken my electives were somewhere deep down. I guess I knew my electives were education based Mm -hmm. courses. Um, And then I eventually went back and got my master's degree in early childhood. But, um, that story is a that great. Was how I came into teaching. Great one for the the impact of a teacher, the the power of an outstanding teacher, and also it's a. I'm thinking, oh my gosh! As long as I've known you, I did not know that's how you started. And the world is such a small place sometimes because I did the same program in Georgia, but in Spanish, and I had Carol Ann yeah. and Mimi. Yeah. Yeah, it just oh my gosh, it is a small world, and they were amazing. They made all the difference in Mm -hmm. the world for me, and and yeah, you know how I saw. Oh, it was incredible. I I think that if I had had formal training before, I might not have learned so completely the the way that we needed to approach teaching and learning in that time, because I didn't really have, I had learned from immersion. I was immersed myself as a young learner and I knew you could do it because I survived it and I did it. I fully believed you could because I was thrown into the French school system 
and no one spoke English to me, you know, and I figured it out and I didn't even have people trying to help me. So, you know, I knew it could happen. Um, but I, I think I didn't have to break fossilized practices. I just learned how to do things from the get go from them mm -hmm. that were the right strategies and the right ways to do things. And I'm thankful for that. Um, so yeah, I didn't know that about you either. So yeah. that's, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. That's and Helena Curtin was another oh my one. Gosh. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Just amazing, yep. you know, teachers, amazing mentors. And that Absolutely. makes me think about how, talking to different teachers and also my experience in my career being in different departments at different schools, the culture of the mm -hmm. school can be very different, the culture of your department. And it is so important for teachers to support one another, not be afraid to yeah. model best practices mm -hmm. or to brainstorm this worked, this didn't work, you know, like a plus delta sort of. Yes. That's, that's so important and so critical. And none of us are perfect. There's never a perfect lesson. And we're always right. trying to figure things out as we're going along. But the pandemic has shown that teachers are figuring things out. They are mm -hmm. finding ways. It's been tough but teaching is never going to be the same again after this. And it's been, it, right. so, but we have to be in it together. We have to help each other. It's not a competition. It's not. I agree. Yeah. And I think, I think one of the things I find ex exciting about what's happened with the pandemic is that so much of the system that was not working well for us is broken and we don't have to go back there if we're willing to keep working together to create something new, it can be better than what it was before. I think that it's dangerous for us to keep measuring ourselves against what was because that will lead us back to old practices. And so the exciting part is, you know, I'm, I'm very much a disruptor in terms of doing things. Um, and, and going down roads that maybe no one's gone down before. And I think part of that's because I started in a program, my first year teaching in a program that was its first year of inception where no one had ever done it before. And so there was a lot of resistance. There was a lot of what in the world are you doing? Why are you doing this? That can't be done. Like all the naysayers, there were just were plentiful. And we had to prove ourselves every single year. And I know you know from being in that program, we had to rally every year just to justify our existence and go before legislators and advocate to, mm -hmm. to stay in place and to keep going. And so we had to constantly reinvent ourselves and stay on top of things and, and, and create a passion from are learning with our students. We were learning, our students were learning, and their voices are really what saved the program every single year because it was their learning and their passion and their enthusiasm that brought the support of their parents that supported us to be able to stay in place. And so advocacy from very early on became a huge part of 
daily life. And I think now more than ever, that's also an important part of where we are in the midst of this pandemic. Um, I think there's just a lot over the next several years of rebuilding our system that are going to require us to, to think about how we do things in new ways that have never been done before. And this, this has forced us to have to do that. Unfortunately, it has also forced a lot of negative experiences, but sometimes we learn from those too, to build something stronger and something better. And so while it's been horrific in many cases, hopefully the outcome of it is going to be that we're able to change some things that have needed changing for a long time. Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. the silver lining I'm hoping yeah. will come out of it. <laughs> I agree. And advocacy, I know we've spent a lot of time doing that together as well. And so I guess one of my questions was, and maybe you had part of your answer and what you just explained about your own program. Uh, what would you want parents, you know, like business leaders, legislators to know about teaching and what teachers need and what kids need, but more importantly, what teachers need? Because here again, we're always being challenged. Perfect example now in the pandemic. What support have we had? What mm-hmm. resources? Teachers have had none or very little. And right. uh, so, yeah, what, what I think in. Oh, it's a loaded question because I think it's, it's, it is so different from place to place what teachers need. Some districts have really been very thoughtful and strategic in how they have planned and supported even just starting school this year and through the year this year. Um, I know I've been really impressed with my former district and the the planning and strategy that they use to approach this year. And I have wished for other districts to be able to have that same really strategic approach and and understanding reality of what can be done. Um, I hear a lot of um, parents or teachers say that parents are saying, um, you know, my child's gonna get me behind, they're gonna be so far behind. And I'm thinking behind what? Like, we've never been here before. No one knows where mm-hmm. behind is. Like, what is behind this year? Mm-hmm. We can't possibly measure ourselves against where we would normally be because it's not normal. And um, so I think advocacy for giving teachers room to meet the primary needs of their students first. I think that. Um, our our teachers as well. I think if your primary needs are not being met, you can't do anything else. So kids who don't have their primary needs being met or the relationships with their teachers to be able to voice those needs and the same teachers who have primary needs that are not being met can't be expected to then meet all the needs of their students. Um, I think that we're to a point right now where that is a reality. It's always been there underlying but I think this year it is so much more evident and worse than it ever has been before. So giving teachers that um, support to has, have whatever time is needed to build those relationships with students to support students, because learning's not gonna happen 
until their primary needs are met. And that just is. And so if it means that we're not on unit four by the end of January, then mm -hmm. too bad. We're not on unit four. Mm -hmm. What does unit four even mean in today's right. world? Right. Maslow's hierarchy. So it's mm -hmm. exactly. So how, how do we advocate for being strategic in our approach to supporting our teachers as learners, because they are learners more now than they have ever been before, whether they want to be or not, they are. And I mean, I personally think they should always be learners, but maybe not quite on the scale or scope of this year in a, in a 110 degree um, percent of the time, I guess. But um, you were thrown into your French think, school. <laughs> sink or swim <laughs> exactly that's right it has been sink or swim for everyone yeah. this year I just I think that that more than ever obviously always advocating for language and cultural you know competencies to to even be able to support and embrace our own populations but just even outside of that beyond that just that being strategic about how to support each other as learners on a primary level and then being able to plan for going as far as you can with what you've got. Mm -hmm. That's about all we can do right now. Yeah. So I know we were talking before, uh, you know, we started recording about administrators and what they can do to support teachers and the supervisor that's you talked about that's you know going in and taking over a class and there's a principal that is fairly well known around the country by the name of gary brooks i don't know if you know who he is but um he's a lo he's yes, local from here and uh he's from my district and um so he, oh wow i didn't know that he's yeah, a superstar <laughs> yes he really is and he was he started helping children and mentor you know like working with them online to try to help teachers out to help the kids out and everything and i mm -hmm. know there was a post he had the other day a video that he or that he talked about a kid just wanted to talk about what was going on at home in his life and tell a story and everything and at first he was like no 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 we don't have time for that but then he thought no i need to make time for it this kid needs to process this and i need to let him because mm -hmm. until he does nobody's going anywhere. You know, we're not going to move along the learning path. And if just more administrators, legislators, parents, yes. all of the stakeholders in education would realize that, that it's really all yep. about the kids and listening to them and connecting to their heart mm -hmm. and saying they're kids. Learning is important, well, and some, but what did he learn in exactly. that lesson right there? That he can trust an adult that's going to listen to his needs. Yep. And them. That's a huge life lesson. To Sometimes learn. the life lessons are more exactly. That's what I was going to say. We're on the same, we're on the same brave link. Sometimes the life lessons are more important. Mm -hmm. And I think in our field, we have a huge advantage because in a language classroom, the whole purpose of that classroom is around communication. So why don't we focus what we're communicating about around things that really matter right now? It may not be the unit that we had planned. It may not be the sequence of study that we had planned. 
But if it's something that's going to allow a learner to express something that's really meaningful about where they are at this moment in time, if they have to express it in English to begin with because it's something they really need to talk about, that's different than they just want to say it in English because they don't want to say it in the language. We're in a different place than that right now. Sometimes they just need to be able to talk about it, period. And then being able to say, well, let's think about ways that you could express that to someone else. What are other ways you could express that to the best of your ability if you wanted to share that and find out in real life what are other learners in other places experiencing in the midst of COVID, in the midst of what is it like for students in the Caribbean right now or in Europe or in Africa or in South America? Um, and helping them know they're not so alone. You know, everyone, all cultures, for the first time ever, everyone in the world is having a similar experience with this pandemic, and that has never happened before. So, um, but I agree. I think that if we could slow down to really think about how to meet the needs of our learners in real time right now, it would speed things up later. It's like you're putting, you're putting emotional money in the bank with these kids that they can trust you and that you really do care about them. Same with our teachers. When I say kids, it could just as easily be administrators with the teachers mm -hmm. that we really care about them and we really hear them and we really wanna know how we can support them and help them through this. And the learning, the academic learning will come, but this has to happen first, I think more now than ever. So. I agree. Yeah. Very yeah. true. <laughs> Are you ready for the rapid fire? Like I said, it's just complete my sentence. Okay. And there's no right or wrong answer. <laughs> scared for this. Okay. <laughs> okay, my game show. Okay. Remember, I have the edit capacity here so <laughs> I can edit anything out no I'm just kidding <laughs> it's gonna be okay. easy okay very all right they're they're not hard okay ready teaching I'm ready. is passion learning happens when there's trust oh, I love that one what teachers need most is? My gut would be to say relationships. There are so many I things think, right now that's like, you know, like a roulette yeah. of like, oh, what am I going to pick? Yes, but relationships. There could go in so across. many, but I, I think the core of it would be relationships and they could go vertical, horizontal. I think just that might be the basis of everything else. <laughs> mm -hmm. It is, Maybe. and that's what I think came to the surface when the pandemic first hit and everyone went virtual, that whole thing about what's real, what's not real. And then if you look at relationship, real is part of that root word being language teachers, yeah. and it's that connection, and yeah. that's what's hard. Yeah. It's missing now. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. all right. Yeah. Last one. My greatest hope for all children is. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. That's a I huge one, Linda. It's huge, but go with your hope. 
I honestly, what comes to mind the fastest right now is still relationships Mm -hmm. is for them to find meaningful connections and relationships with people, because that's how you get through each day. Mm -hmm. And um, no matter, you know, whether you're in the midst of COVID or in normal, in a normal world, um, I think that's at the base of everything. Mm -hmm. So I agree. I I so agree with that. We're all human beings and being language teachers, we know about that. When we, when we had the greater understandings, the essential question, it's always, it's always about humanity. How are we all connected? Mm -hmm. How do we all, how do we all connect as human beings, you know? And so that relationship. Well, and as language, yeah, as language teachers, I mean, what is our purpose for communicating? It's to connect with someone else mm-hmm. on some level building a relationship whether it's for business or for personal or you know professional it's still I think that's still at the crux of everything so it is I don't know and and honestly even before COVID I think my answers might have still been the same because it's very much a part of my belief system mm-hmm. it so. is because that it, it, it all fits together perfectly that your answer about trust like we were talking about before kids have got to learn that they can trust adults that they can trust yeah. the process that they can trust that they're that it's okay if they make a mistake that it's okay if they don't ha- know exactly the right answer and if they're you right. know having to try many, many times, that's okay too. It's, and we're all at different places. Kind of like, exactly. Like the, that measuring stick of where we should be right now. There's no way out of this without us all making lots of mistakes because we're all going to have to be trying something new that we've never done before. And um, I, I think that when you're when you're trying to create something new and walk down a road that's never been paved before, you can't do that without it being really uncomfortable, without it being really painful at times. And um, you're gonna make a lot of mistakes and we have to have room and support to make those mistakes and you don't have that without trust and relationships. So mm-hmm. I think that's our only way out of this. <laughs> Really, I agree. Yes, very true. Well, thank you so much for being a guest here on on Teacher Tales. I loved it. Thank you. Yes.